0: the sport industry access podcast episode 106 what skill sets do you need when pursuing a sports phd Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's a sports expert in a specific field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career as a sports academic. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Sarah Metcalf. Sarah is a sports scholar and currently a PhD researcher and teaching assistant at Durham University. Also this year, Sarah was awarded the Young Researcher Award at the European Association for Sociology of Sport. For that reason, it's great to have Sarah as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode, Sarah will share her sports career journey and explain to you the core skills you need when pursuing a sports PhD. Sarah, it's great to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start?
1: Uh, Yeah, so... In 2015, I sort of left my job as a PE teacher to complete my PhD or even to start it. So the reason that I left teaching was the fact that I wanted to do something that I enjoyed more, more more to the point and also something that really was a challenge rather than sort of... I found teaching, whilst it was really enjoyable at times and rewarding, there wasn't that day-to-day challenge that I was looking for. So that was when I started or wanted to pursue a career in academia. So it all started maybe three years ago... Um, and it's been it's been a it's a good journey it's been difficult at times but it's been really rewarding as well so
0: just quickly going back in time what inspired you to study sport
1: yeah so when I did my undergraduate degree at Durham University starting 2008 so 10 years ago and I enjoyed I enjoyed learning I enjoyed learning the academic side of sport as opposed to the I'd always been a performer, I'd always played sport to a high level. From a teacher perspective, I'd done with my research at a practical level, but it was kind of taking that back to academia and to theorise it, which was really interesting to, to me, and how it kind of then would relate into improving practice in the future. That was my motivation, really.
0: What did you enjoy the most from your undergraduate degree from Durham, and how did you apply it? into teaching?
1: So what I really enjoyed about the degree that I did at Durham was it was very um, multi-disciplinary which then applied into when I taught A level at school so it was I could directly take the physiology and the psychology and the anatomy and everything into teaching at an A level uh, degree course but it was the sociological aspect of sport and PE and how we develop an identity that was then able to come back into looking at my PhD topic and how I can unpick how young people experience their own gender through
0: sport and PE, which is what I've focused on. Before we talk about your research, what skill sets did you develop when you were a PE teacher, which you have now applied in the academic style of teaching?
1: Yeah, I think to be a teacher, and particularly a PE teacher, you have to have unreal organisation skills to be able to put different things together, to plan, to factor in what's going to happen, and those skills have undoubtedly helped in managing both my time and also the project in terms of my PhD. Um, I also think being a teacher, you have to communicate effectively, you have to be able to talk to different people, to lots of people, and whilst it's very different talking to a group of 100 school kids to 100 academics, that, you know, there's different fears that are associated with both of those groups of uh, audiences those skills in terms of being able to communicate have been really helpful.
0: Just looking at sport as a bigger picture now, have you seen research have an impact in sport from your experience in the last 10 years?
1: Yeah, I mean as as you know, the sports degree at Durham is so has been so broad. So we can look at academic research in sort of physiology that's helped sports performers on the pitch in terms of training loads, in terms of recovery, we can look at psychological uh, academic research that looks at mental skills training, how we can improve our performance mentally. But then we look at sort of sociological research which explores or can help to understand personal factors and it can help explore what happens and why do things happen within the world of sport from a, very, uh, from a perspective that is applicable to most people. So what I love about the sort of sociological understanding of sport is that we can talk about it in day-to-day experiences. Anyone can have an opinion on sport. But it's now applying that sociologically to explore the bigger picture and personal experiences from that bigger picture. And that is, I think it helps understand sport because we know more. We know so much more about sport than what we ever have done. And what I really appreciate now is that different disciplines are using sport to explore academically. So it's not just now a a field of sport as its own field. It's being taken over by people from geography or people from sociology or people from economics or business it's its own entity in its own right rather than it just being this adjunct that kind of was a secondary topic it's now got its own own niche to, to a certain degree and the, the economic power of sport and the global nature of sport makes it such an appealing topic to under, to explore academically.
0: Do you think, Sarah, that research is now being applied at the grassroots level? Because on this podcast show, we always highlight research with regards to elite sport and performance. But now research is being more applied to physical activity. In your opinion, how important is that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's, there's a growing demand to look at both elite and grass sport, grassroots. And I think whilst historically I was always as a performer, I, I was more interested in elite stuff. But as, maybe this comes from like my experience as a PE teacher. There's a lot of people that don't enjoy sport and don't enjoy PE and don't want to be active. But we as a society, I genuinely feel, have a responsibility to improve the health of, of people. And we can do that through p- positive engagement with sport and exercise. So whilst the elite are great, you know, they, they do foster a sense of, you know, people might question this, but national identity and pride, how much effect does it have when we've got rising uh, obesity rates and rising physical physical inactivity rates there needs to be some sort of um, congruence between what we do at an elite level and what we know and how we can use that in the broader
0: social sort of movement in a way to kind of create that
1: or foster that healthy environment
0: absolutely just relating to today's podcast topic what skill sets do you need when pursuing a sports phd as
1: i just touched on like organization is crucial so Not only do you have to write between 80 and 100,000 words, they have to make sense. So you need to be able to organize that in a way that kind of, and organize yourself and organize your time and organize everything. I think having that, those just basic skills really can help. But I think as well, as I've just said, 100,000 words is a lot. You have to be motivated. You have to have that passion for what you want to do. Um, And it can be you know, three years or even longer. It can be a long time to be passionate about one thing and one thing. But having that sort of desire to want to learn and to want to know something about a topic is really crucial. And finally, I think one of the a key skill set is to be able to communicate in multiple ways. So not only do you have to be able to write, you have to be able to write for your PhD, but write for a journal or write for um, disseminating your uh, your research to, for instance, I'm going to be writing our, um, a fact sheet for the schools that I've been into, so communicating to the public and to the general audience, but as well to verbally communicate. And those skills, they can they obviously are, are developed through the process, but it would help to have those a passion to develop those skills further. I think.
0: So, what's your passion with regards to your PhD?
1: My passion in my research is to kind of is to I don't know, that's a very difficult question to help young people understand who they are and how that links to sport, I think. Because for me, when I was a young when I was at school, sport was who I was. Sport was basically my own identity, which is very, very uncommon for young women. And kind of how can my passion is to kind of explore why there are these differences that we we take for granted that boys and girls are different and PE is taught so separately. So we reinforce the stereotypes and assumptions about young men and young women without even realizing it and how can we overcome those unwritten and unspoken norms in a way that is going to be positive for all so not just positive for the sporty kids that like PE and like sport and are going to thrive in a PE environment regardless. How can we create and foster environments that every young person can succeed and I think that's the crux of what I wanted to try and show for my PhD that we still need to do a hell of a lot more to make schooling and sporting opportunities accessible for all, regardless of gender, regardless of class, regardless of anything else, It needs to, a lot more needs to be done still.
0: Sarah, I've got a big smile on my face because you just remind me when I was back at Durham University doing research projects where you're challenging areas of society for the greater good. Would you mind explaining to listeners some of the research projects you've done? For example, your work you did for the European Association for Sociology of Sport.
1: Yeah, so part of my research and part of my PhD project included um, looking at how the mass media... um, represent male and female athletes at Rio 2016 so whilst it was kind of a bit of a some people might say it was an add-on but I was fascinated as to how I could incorporate the Olympics as a major sporting event into how young people understand sport so I kind of this paper that I presented there was looking at how do young people interpret these media messages and how do they then how do these messages then influence their own understandings of sport and gender so I kind of took my findings which was essentially that um, sportswomen are still under, underrepresented and still trivialised by the media, and into the schools and into interviews and ask them what do they well how did, sorry, what percentage do they think that sportswomen women received, and they all all of the seventy young people that I spoke with expected sportswomen to be underrepresented. So they're still expecting this sexualized or not, sorry trivialising uh, representation. They also all expected sportswomen to be sexualised. So we've had historical representations, which, you know, we we depict sportswomen in very little clothing or very sort of sexualized poses. Yet, I actually didn't find, I found hardly any evidence of that. So I I found nearly, well, just over 2000 photographs, and only seven were sexualized, and four of those were of men. So actually, we're not experiencing sexualization in the media as much as we used to, yet young people still expect that. So we're kind of having to it's going to take a while. I, well, my argument was it's going to take a while for these young people to um, mirror what we are experiencing in the media. And the dangers there are that if we are still expecting underrepresentation, the young people said to me, um, and I think I'm going to kind of half quote one of the young women, she said, well, because of how the media represents sportsmen and women, women don't see sports for them. So we can see how there's a very negative connotation between how the sports women are presented and how sports men are presented and how young women then see sport as not being an appropriate activity for them. In contrast, the young men I spoke with saw sport as as an opportunity, as a potential career, as a how can I make money while I go and play football? And that sort of difference is exacerbated arguably by the media, but it's also We interpret these messages in a way which becomes normal to us. We don't question it. It becomes how we then think about the world. And those take-for-granted assumptions is kind of really problematic for how we can in the future challenge these stereotypes and challenge how young men and women see themselves through sport.
0: Sarah, this is just an interest point. Do you think it comes down to their motivation in why they participate in the first place?
1: Yeah, massively so. I think... For, for young men, that the, the young men that I spoke with, sport was crucial for them showing their legitimacy as a young man, a young male. For, sport, for young women, they could play sport if they wanted to. They didn't have to. They weren't obliged to. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily beneficial for them if, in terms of their social status and hierarchy. It was an option. So their motivation to play was based on if they wanted to. It wasn't. An, it wasn't socially constructed as a something that they ought to do. So in a way, there's, yeah, there was very little in terms of motivation for young women to want to play sport because there was going to be no benefit to them. So I look at it in a way that we look at how people can accrue capital. So whether that be economic capital, so young men can get, you know, if they have a football contract, they get money, or social capital, so status and popularity. The young men could gain status from playing sport and being good at it. The young women couldn't. Their capital was from, sorry, their capital was from looking good and looking feminine. So it's reproducing these norms that we hope, well, we hope don't exist anymore, but they still do from what the young people told me.
0: Sarah, I find this really interesting. And to be honest, I'd love to talk more about it. Just from a student perspective, would you mind sharing the research method with regards to your project? Because, as you know, effective research and getting the basics right is essential for longevity with regards to making a difference in society with the application of research.
1: Yeah, so aside from the media analysis that I did, so I took that into three schools in the, in the northeast of England. So I, the three schools were chosen based on being demographically different. So one school was an um, independent day and boarding school, um, which has a history of being boys only. It's only recently in the last sort of 10, 15 years accepted girls. So that was my sort of choice of school in terms of being more sort of middle class, kind of you, you're paying into the schools, so there's a different ethos involved. I then interviewed young people from two, two state schools, one that was more middle class, more um, nationally well-known for being academically successful, and one that was less so, sort of more from a working class area, more socioeconomic sort of deprived status in terms of free school meals, in terms of people premium. So I had a, a, a variety of schools that I could draw from. And then from each school, each year 11 student, Um, completed a questionnaire about how much sport they did, um, whether their family did sport, if they enjoyed sport, sort of kind of quite broad questions. From those answers, I then selected in total 70 young people, so 33 boys, 37 girls to be interviewed. So I spent like a sort of 45-minute, one-hour interview with each of those students talking about gender, talking about sport, talking about school, talking about how it all kind of connected. Um, and that was essentially the crux of my data collection. So that t- happened over a, sort of a period of ten months in 2017.
0: Out of interest, Sarah, what did you learn from the experience?
1: In terms of my findings, I learned that it's really still a negative picture, which I didn't want to find. I wanted it to be a very positive that we're making changes, and I found that what I experienced as a teacher still persists. Uh, in terms of self-learning, I learned that you know, to, ha- to have a goal and to have a, to be on top of things is is hard, but it's doable. And it's having that motivation to want to stick to task and stick to your agenda and is really important in terms of feeling like you're, satis- you're satisfied with yourself. So my supervisor, who, who you've also interviewed, uh, Martin Roderick, um, always told me, <laughs> you know, feel like you've done something every day. So that can be you know, even just reading a, just reading someone else's journal article and getting some ideas, or it could be even writing one paragraph, but to, to feel like you've achieved something is a really rewarding, and so I think I've learned that actually, even a little thing can be rewarding, even if it can be tiny, it could be, oh, I've, I've even cut out 100 words today because I'm always over my word limit, so little things like that can be really rewarding, and I think that in itself has been, for me, a really important lesson to learn, as has to not be so hard on myself because it's, it's a very difficult you want everything to be perfect and that's a that's a good thing but at the same time it's not always productive or conducive to be to helping you get to where you want to be so having high expectations but being able to modify those is also something that I have really
0: had to had to learn
1: had to work at
0: now relating to your current career what have you been up to recently
1: I'm finalizing my whole PhD thesis so it's it's nearly there so I'm making sure it all makes sense and is all kind of cutting words and making it kind of all flow so that's what I want' working at the moment but I last week I had um my first article sub, um accepted for publication so that was like a bit of a milestone for me so that was really really good news uh, so that'll be published this autumn um so that was kind of a bit nerve-wracking because obviously it's a bit it's, it's a long process it's quite a difficult and quite um very critical and which is it is good but it's a very sort of you feel like your soul is bad for anyone to criticize and to get that accepted and get that publicized published is going to be something really important i think and so hopefully the floodgates will open and we can go from there
0: sarah relating to this chat right now i'm sure you'll do fine just on a personal note, what have you enjoyed the most from your career looking back right now?
1: What I really enjoy is being able to enjoy what I do. And that sounds really stupid, but whilst arguably I was good as a PE teacher, I didn't enjoy it. And I enjoyed essentially working hard as an undergraduate student. I enjoyed, let's be honest, being a bit of a geek. I enjoyed that. I, I So I've come back now and I enjoy it. Most days I enjoy, which I didn't get at all when I was, you know, well, in my former working life. And that sort of freedom to allow myself to enjoy what I do has been, I just, it's really, really, really positive and really sort of, I don't know, rewarding part of doing a PhD that actually I'm in control of what I want to do. I have the freedom to do what I want to do, but actually I enjoy it and that's so refreshing, particularly in terms of what I've done in the last sort of five years or so. It's been so refreshing to have that enjoyment.
0: I can definitely hear your enthusiasm through the mic, and I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to university sports students who want to pursue a career in sports academia?
1: What I would say is that Find a topic and find something that interests you and that you enjoy and you want to find more about because let's be honest, doing a PhD is hard work. You don't want to do something that you're not, not passionate about and you don't enjoy. And that can be anything. It could be, you know, it could be sociologically like I've been doing or it could be physiologically and you want to find an answer to anything. But find a topic that you, passion- that you are passionately excited about and can see yourself wanting to be the best in your field at and it's hard it is hard work but it's it's achievable and if the hard work you can you can get there and to never give up on that desire to want to learn and I should have gone into doing my PhD after do after going finishing my undergraduate degree I should have I didn't need to make the mistake of going into into teaching but at the same time there was a fit I sort of this, it's not a stigma but you know staying on in academia isn't necessarily the cool thing to do but actually if you enjoy that then that's what you're good at then there's no no harm by that and to find something that you love and to enjoy and to want to to want to learn something more and that's not a that's something to be ashamed of and to, to find that passion and to follow it
0: through would be my advice that is great sarah and you really have highlighted a really important point in enjoying the work you do how can people interact with you online
1: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is uh, at Sarah20 underscore four Harding. So I'll happily talk to anyone and you can see what I'm up to on there. And it would be great to interact with as many people as possible.
0: That is great to all the listeners listening in. That Twitter link will be on my website relating to this blog post. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What a fascinating Career journey from Sarah. And I really do hope you enjoyed that podcast chat as much as me. And you can probably tell with that emphasis of enjoy that that is my biggest learning lesson from this podcast chat. That Sarah mentioned quite a lot the term do something you enjoy. And it really doesn't matter where, if it's teaching, if it's any sector of the sports industry, but having the enjoyment really does create more of an interest in the work you do which makes you get up early a lot easier because you enjoy what you want to do and I think this is important a lot of people and my discovery from this podcast show we always look at the financial side we always look at that sort of dream job but if you just don't enjoy what you do you're not going to perform at the best to your ability and you're not going to add value to this industry either so on that note without a doubt, take on board what Sarah said about enjoy the work you do. But also, if you do find out that you are doing something that isn't you, and you've stuck with it for many years, don't Be shy to make a positive change. Like Sarah did that great example. She did five years of PE. It wasn't for her, but then she ended up going back into academia. You have that opportunity when you've done a degree. And I want to highlight this point because it's important for you to know that you can get back into the academic world if you find that whatever you're doing isn't your cup of tea, which is a British term meaning not really for you so that's another learning lesson i've taken from this podcast chat so really do apply what sarah said during our chat and apply it to your sports career now so you can go forward take action and good luck now as always at the end of each interview i like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker sarah said find something you love and enjoy find that passion and follow it through